Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined as always by the Mad Max to my auntie. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Not bad for a raggedy man. Yeah, well, um, if you don't hold your end of the deal, you're going to have to spin the wheel, buddy. So, okay, uh, the Seahawks this week. Uh, if you got commit some... a crime, you might do the time. If you do if something, glove, consequences glove, will rhyme with it. If the gloves don't fit, then then you must acquit. That's true. Uh, okay, the... the If Chewbacca see, was a Wookiee... Sorry, go ahead. Okay. The Seahawks this week got some concerning news. Tariq Woolen had surgery had minor surgery and with pete carroll in preseason you just never know how serious these injuries are so luckily we might have the the, dreaded knee thing yeah luckily we heard from the man himself and he said minor surgery i'm already back to it basically like it was nothing too serious Uh, the seahawks made a corresponding move they signed Artie burns uh Kevin, how worried would you be if Tariq Woolen was actually hurt? If this was like a more serious injury, what, what, what would your where would your panic panic meter be if uh, if that was the case? I feel like cornerback, uh, as much as any team is prepared to lose a starter at any position ever, cornerback is where we are probably deepest. I feel like we have enough talent on the roster that we could hang out until he's healthy. Like if he's going to miss the whole season, I'd worry. But. I mean, I I really think Pete Carroll's entirely capable of running a functional cornerback room with Mike Jackson, Kobe Bryant, Trey Brown, Artie Burns, and Devin Witherspoon. Like, I'm pretty sure he could stitch that into a functioning blanket. I'm just scared because I I think that the strength of the defense is the secondary, and without a doubt, you you take out the the best, probably the best player. Okay, definitely the best player from the secondary. It'll hurt. So I'm glad that it's not too serious. Uh, welcome back to the to the fold, Artie Burns, good veteran to kind of pull all these rookies through, through uh, all these rookies and young players through training camp. I like the signing. I think it's a good solid signing, even if he doesn't end up making it to the active roster at the end, which we'll talk about uh, next week. D. Eskridge, Kevin, there's a lot of fake D. Eskridge hype. Um, I don't know if so, you heard this or not, but I heard he was in the best shape of his life. Do you do you think do you think that the Seahawks will be able to get any draft pick in return for Dietzkridge before they cut him? Uh, no, because because cynically, I really think that's what this is. This is this is you hyping up a guy, hoping that someone will call you and go, "Hey, uh, you know, I heard Dietzkridge having a great camp. You want a sixth round draft pick?" And then that's, I think we might be able to get that the- after preseason game one. And like we give him every bubble screen known to man, he fields all the kicks and punts. Like just just a full on Deskridge showcase preseason week one. Somebody picks up the phone. They're like, "Hey, hey, we've got the two hundred and fiftieth pick. D- do you want it?" And then and then Josh Iyer's like, "Yes, I want that." Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's just it's classic camp hype stuff. Gino even said something. It wasn't just Pete. It was Gino too. Gino jumping in saying, "Oh, Deskridge looks better than ever." And it's like, yeah, we know he's not going to be part of the offense, and you guys really would like to recoup some of the draft capital. We get uh, it. Well, let's be real fair though. Deskridge looking better than ever in a Seahawks uniform. Low bar. He might. Yeah. That's possible. I mean, he doesn't look concussed. Way to go. You look way better now with your lack just... of being concussed. There's just no path for him to any kind of regular playing time. So it's it's really and outside of injury, right? Just just outside of a major injury, the the three wide receivers we're going to put on the field for 70% of our plays is pretty set in stone, I feel like. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit more down the well, line. Step over it. If we go four wide receivers, Dariq Young on the outside makes a lot yeah. more sense than then, putting the Eskridge on the inside. Yeah, then instead of Tyler Lockett, yeah, it's not. Uh, Anyway, uh, Ross Tucker, 33rd team, ranked all of the NFL head coaches. And in classic clickbait fashion, he put Pete Carroll all the way down at number nine, knowing that the Seahawks 12s would share the article, enraged as ever. Uh, Kevin, realistically, where does Pete Carroll rank as a head coach in the NFL? Is he, uh, is he top five? Is he top is he is top 10 correct? And he just was a little too low or or where, where do you where do you have him? Okay, I feel like the coaches you clearly put ahead of him are Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. I feel okay. like that's that's very fair. Agreed. I think he is in the Tomlin, uh, Sean Payton, like that tier. He's in whatever that next tier is. He's a tier two coach, which makes him either a top five coach or a fringe top five coach. He's got two Super Bowl appearances with one Super Bowl victory. He has a decade of consistent 
uh, playoff record. He's now brought two quarterbacks to the forefront and three quarterbacks to the playoffs with the Seahawks. And then that ignores the fact that he had a borderline Hall of Fame college football coaching career as well. So there's two things that bother me about this. Number one, okay, is that I feel like it's really hard for me personally to put a lot of separation between uh, Mike Tomlin and uh, and Pete Carroll. They're very similar in that they've been with their teams a really long time. They both have won Super Bowl. They both have gotten – they both get their teams to the playoffs even when maybe they shouldn't like last year. Um, Tomlin almost made the playoffs and we did make the playoffs with teams that everyone thought were just trash cans. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I think I said it last year when we were picking the Steelers, I was like, I have to give them at least eight wins because that's just what they do. They just make it, they make it to 500 ish, no matter what. And, uh, we do the same thing We're we were never bad under Pete Carroll. And so I just think he deserves more respect. He definitely shouldn't be behind Brian Dable or Nick Sirianni. That's like recency bias. And he definitely shouldn't be behind Sean Payton who has not coached an NFL down like four years. Who knows if he's completely passed it. Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees were good, but like Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, I'm, I think we might be seeing like uh, that the quarterback pairing there mattered a lot more than, than just the one guy. Yeah. Well, and then you have John Harbaugh is down at 11th. John Harbaugh is another really consistent coach who has a Super Bowl ring. Like that's, that's pretty disrespectful. And the, another one that jumped out to me was uh, Sean McDermott for the bills. Like yeah. putting him 20 seconds. Come on, man. Yeah. That's, that's, like, but they but weak. they lose in the playoffs, Kevin. He gets just out. They just get out coached in the postseason. That's, yeah, that's like so Matt Lafleur seventeenth. So he so so we put him so we put him behind Ron Rivera. Okay, all right. Anyway, right. I'm not. I don't think we need to give this any more airtime. But I I just wanted to just be on the lookout for articles like that where it's just like obvious they know our fan it's base is passionate, so they will definitely underrank our guys or overrank our guys to get people to to uh share it that's a uh, they know that the the seahawks fan base is is pretty nuts about our team all right this week's big topic we're gonna go over the offensive depth chart and i wrote down some notes here just in general about how about how many guys we keep uh per position so it's kind of give us a gauge and then we'll we'll kind of guess who who's gonna make it who's gonna not who's on the roster bubble who's got some work to do uh who's just clearly gonna be in so let's start with the wide receivers um, generally, the Seahawks keep six wide receivers, sometimes seven, rarely five, mostly six. Uh, right now, there are three deadlocks, right, Kevin? Three guys that are going to be in for sure, wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, that's, that's easy. Yeah, there's there's three that you could just – yeah, that's it's as deadlock as anything ever has been. Uh, put, put, chisel this one into stone. There's no way that DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, or Jackson Smith and Jigba are going to be playing football somewhere else this this year you know barring injury they are in the roster all right now the next tier of guys here there's so there's a little tier here we got d eskridge Derek young who are and cody thompson who have been on the team in the past these guys are all um you know tenured seahawks i guess at this point and k johnson who's stuck around for yeah, quite I say, a while johnson, I, I think is, say too. is worth an include although he is the body catcher on the practice squad the whole time. Uh, but, no, he, he has a couple of catches in a Seahawks uniform in the regular season. There you go. Uh, like that. Emphasis on couple. Is it is it literally two? Because uh, <laughs> that I would have, be that. I have the notes. Um, uh, that would be yeah. It is literally two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was right. I thought I thought I pulled that joke off. <laughs> okay. Nice. Okay. So so of these four guys, let's let's, let's throw K Johnson in there. K Johnson, D Eskridge, Cody Thompson, Derek Young. Obviously, all four of them can't make the team. Uh, which ones, if you had to rank them, which ones are in the most trouble? Which ones are are, are going to find their way to the roster the, easy, the easiest? I think Derek Young's path to the roster is the easiest for the aforementioned. He's a legitimate outside receiver and a deep threat. Big um, X. You know, he can play yep. the, the outside position for sure. And so, like, if DK were to go down with an injury, he's obviously not as good as DK, but he could fill that role what? in the offense. <laughs> I mean, he has a D and a K in his name. They're basically the same guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I feel like Derek Young is next safest. Uh, also, he's making roughly peanuts, so yeah. that's another easy thing with uh, our with uh, with us being in a semi financial crunch. I think next safest is actually probably D Eskridge, just because of what we invested in him. If he's healthy, um, he can play some inside outside versatility. Uh, Come on, Kevin. He, where's your where's your always compete mentality? Diaskrich has to show us something, right? Like he 
He can't feel, I feel safe. Like, okay, I feel like he's in CJ Pro Size territory where uh he must he must be good in practice he must be good in practice like there's no way he's not lunch pail kid you know the son of a coach uh all those things but you also asked me which ones are safest i feel like the eskridge has shown as much or more as these next guys on here i think the next one's cody thompson cody Cody, how old do you think cody thompson is uh he was a quarterback conversion he played all five years in college if not six He's been on the practice squad since like 2019, so we'll go with 27. Yeah, he's 27, dude. I was, I saw oh, that good. and I was like, whoa, man. He's, I mean, I knew he'd been around for four years, but also he was an old prospect to start with. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I would say everyone after Young is is in danger of losing their spot to competition. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, we could we could point. sign someone or someone like one of the UDFA's could take their spot easy. Yeah. So okay. Um. Then so then Thompson then. Uh, K Johnson fourth uh, of the UDFAs, Matt Landers, Jake Bobo, John Hall, CJ Johnson, Tyjon Lindsay. Do you see any of these guys uh, having a, a good chance to make the roster or are they all kind of cut candidates practice? What guys? Uh, so John Hall, by nature of being more of an unknown, uh, he is one that I could see being more impressive than I thought. How uh, old is John Hall, though? John, as old as time. Um, 25 dang i didn't know that. i yeah i know this is like what so one thing i when i this is a covid thing i've noticed um a lot of these older prospects and so i read an article and it was like the number one uh like the strongest indicator of breakout year breakout is is like early breakout year and all these really old prospects like john hall's 25 jake bobo's 24 tyjon Lindsay's 24 which i was kind of excited about tyjon Lindsay, but like he's you know not much younger than D Eskridge. It's just, uh, it's, it's worrying that they, they brought in all these UDFAs, but it just feels like a bunch of guys who probably it's, it's too late for them. Right. So it's my like quick they, counter, uh, John Hall, uh, wide receiver Northwood. How do you know when his breakout season was, man? Like it could have been any time. <laughs> could have been, but I mean, how he could have already broken out. He could be, he could be the yes. Northwood goat. He could he have could broke be out. Northwood's in Gary Bryce, Gary, age, uh, ni- like Gary Rice. age nineteen, six years ago. <laughs> yeah, he could have broken out. It's so long ago. It's like crazy to me. I don't know. So we're gonna keep six guys. Let's let's each let's each get on a corner and make our predictions. I'll go uh, the obvious three, and then I'll go Young, Eskridge, Johnson, Kevin. What, what are you? Uh, I will go. You know, we love ourselves a penny heart. I'm going with uh, Young, Askridge, Lindsay. All right, nice. I love Ty John Lindsay. Like the tape is is actually pretty promising. So it'd be cool if he if he found his way. Well, it's not his fault he didn't play with a single quarterback his entire time at Oregon State. It's hard to break out when no one throws it to you. That's disrespectful. (laughs) Just kidding. All right, offensive lineman. We keep. I agree. It is, and they earned it. We keep nine, Kevin. So uh, generally, almost. Always nine, uh, not 10. Lots of teams keep 10, but not the Seahawks. The Seahawks usually try to have a guy who's more flexible. And we'll talk about who that might be. And of these uh, potential of these guys, um, they keep a guy who can play multiple positions and then keep one less guy. So here is the uh, current offensive lineman. Cross, uh, Lewis, Brown, Haynes, Abraham. That's, uh, you know, you're starting five likely. Then, the next, the other guys are Stone Forsyth, Jalen McKenzie, Kendall Randolph, Olu Oluwatimi, uh, Joey Hunt, Anthony Bradford, Jake Curran, Greg Island. So who's who's the backup here, Kevin? That that makes the roster because they can play multiple positions. It's, is it Curran? You think? I think it's a okay. I think there's a bit of a combination that's going to happen here. I think Curran being flexible is why he's on the roster and gets one of the backup tackle spots. Um, I think Evan Brown's flexibility makes it easier to keep both of those rookies. Mm-hmm. Because Evan Brown being able to play guard and center means if Oluwatimi is like at all good, is then it's it, possible yeah. that he slides in at center and Brown um, can play the guard spot. So I think, Brown's flexibility makes Bradford and Oluwatimi more flexible than they would otherwise be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing too is Evan, 
I mean, we talked about old prospects, but I mean, Olatimi 23, Bradford 24. Evan Brown's only 26. He's still like a, a good young player, I feel like. And yeah. this is a good and with between him and Lewis at 26 and Haynes at 27, that that's just like a good, you know, these guys, if they can gel and play together for two years, that's a really solid like core interior five. And then so would it be Curran and Forsyth, Curran and Island? Uh, who Who's making it at tackle then? For, for I think it's Curran spots. Forsyth. I thought Forsyth played a respectable left tackle when he was forced to. Like for a backup left tackle coming in. The other thing is, uh, Curran and uh, Island both have some lateral movement issues that I think Stone Forsyth's issue is he's not like a, a powerful run blocker, but his lateral movement for being able to handle like speed rushers is better than the other two. So he offers a different skill set than Curran. So him and Curran offer good flexible skill sets at a uh, backup tackle, um, which overall just makes for a better unit. And also, again, Stone Forsyth still on that rookie deal, still a late round pick still getting paid next to nothing for decent value. Yeah. Island Island is huge too. Is I always am a kind of, whenever I go to his like Very stats page, man. it's like six foot eight, 321 pounds. It's like, Oh man, this guy's big. Uh, Hunt, Joey Hunt. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you. Um, I hope that this is the end of the line. Uh, great, great Seahawks practice squad uh, champion and uh, sometimes player. And then uh, Jalen McKenzie, do you, Kevin, do you have a, any strong Jalen McKenzie opinions um, no. before, before I just throw them out? All right, so so then we, we're kind of in agreement here. Cross, Lewis, Brown, Haynes, Lucas, Forsyth, Oluotimi, Bradford, and Curran is likely to be our nine offensive linemen. Now, we only keep three tight ends. So it's Disley, Fant, and Parkinson still with Mabry, Gindorf, and Griffin Hebert behind. Is there any chance that we, we do something – kind of weird here and keep keep four of these guys kevin or do you see do you see three as pretty likely if we keep a fourth it's because we really like um if it's because we really like a guy who has kind of that h-back flexibility and i could see us ending up uh keeping five wide receivers to keep an extra tight end i just don't think that's as likely i think with the the need to keep below even though he's position flexible you know he can play like five snaps a game on offense and or I mean, it's less like one snap a game on offense and, you know, three snaps a game on defense. Uh, it, it does tighten up the roster to have a guy like that. That's just not going to contribute at all um, in the regular offense. Not that Belor's bad. I think Belor's really good, but. But having a just, pure special teamers like that is, it is, does put a little bit of a roster bind. It's a lux- It's a luxury that the Seahawks often take. I mean, before him, we had easy Nico Thorpe and before Thorpe, we've, we've always had this. this. This is a Pete Carroll thing. He likes to have a guy whose job it is to to be on the punt and kick coverage and yeah. uh, to, to also, you know, be a, like a third string backup position flexible guy. But Belor is that dude. And it, that's and until he, you know, starts to suck. I, it is one of the, the contracts. I feel like I think I remember that we could move on from some safe cap, but I just don't see it happening. I think Pete loves to have that guy special team. He's not making player. that much yet is the thing. Is it like is he's, it not? he's not making enough for us? Cause if I remember correctly, his contract is still pretty low. Uh, let's see. Nick, Nick Ballor, uh, Ballor, I thought it was under two mil. It's uh, we could save 2.3. Okay. That's, that's fringe. Um, so yeah. Oh wait, no. I'm reading this backwards. Maybe we could. Maybe we sit. No. Uh, maybe we save three hundred thousand. Oh, because he has two years. Man, he's got two years, six point six million. Nice job. Nice job, Nick Ballor. Nice um, job, whatever. Nick Ballor's agent. Yeah, I was gonna say whatever you're paying your agent, you, he's getting his money's worth. Okay. Then, then. Uh, so tight end, we don't need to talk about too much more. Quarterbacks. Did you hear the the new rule, the 49ers complaining rule, Kevin? How do you yes. feel about the How do you feel about the 49ers tears rule? Uh, okay. So number one, um, I wish this rule was in place so that they could have gotten smacked anyway. So they'd stop complaining about it. Uh, number two, I think it's stupid that you can only dress such a small number of players anyway. So anything that lets you have more players available on game day and possibly getting paid more is a good rule in my opinion. So yeah, letting your practice squad quarterback suit and be on the sideline. So they're like the emergency goalie, but I wish it worked like it does in hockey. So it's actually like, hey, this guy like makes sandwiches in the concession stand, (laughs) but he played for like 
Western Washington's intramural football team. And in an emergency, you can bring yeah. him in. He was and- a division three college. He played for, he played quarterback for central and he's not John Kitna. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's like, Oh, okay. So he's not, not good. Yeah. His name's so the, John Kittner. Oh, so, so welcome to the roster Holt Nailers. Unless we, unless we go get a different guy to be our third quarterback, uh, Geno Smith will, and Drew Locke will be the starters, and Holton Aylers will be the uh, emergency third quarterback who also is on the practice squad. Because those are the only three quarterbacks we have rostered. And yeah, Drew Locke holding the uh, uh, clipboard Jesus commemorative clipboard. Yep. Two, well, those will be our two top two, and then we'll have the uh, the third back up there. There's nothing interesting to talk about there. We're going to cruise through this, Kevin. We're going to go all the way through the offense and the defense because this is like weirdly weirdly our team is not like uh let's do a scheme breakdown on offense after this okay so you okay, can so, for next week let's do a little scheme talk i, I don't know we'll see. <laughs> we'll see i'm ready though i wrote i wrote defense notes down so i'm ready for anything okay, so running backs we keep four this is, is interesting. Is, okay so it's ken walker zach charbonnet dj dallas kenny mcintosh bryant kobach and chris smith question i have for you kevin can bryant kobach chris smith can they supplant Kenny McIntosh. So I think Chris <laughs> Smith is actually an interesting back. Yeah. Uh, the My issue is that he runs like an offensive lineman. <laughs> what? Yeah. No one has, no one has his lost. His testing is so weird. Not, no one has lost more money at the, at his pro day than Christopher Smith, the second. Or wait, is that? No, that's not. He was not the second. Chris, just Christopher Smith. You're like a four, six, six or something. It was, was a, bad, yeah. Also, uh, Brian Kobach sounds like a '70s Private Eye from a TV show. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, I if if Chris, I think if Chris Smith ran a four four, he gets drafted. And one thing that's weird is you watch Chris Smith games, and he's not slow. Like he doesn't look he doesn't look slow. But I don't know. I mean, I guess you're watching games of Louisiana versus Georgia Southern, so it's like harder to. You're watching like decent talent there, though. Like those are not devoid of talent teams, but I, uh, I think the other thing is he's a he. Like if you look, he never breaks away. So is he just one of those guys who gets to his second gear really fast? Mm, no, because his agilities were not good either. So, maybe can't so test. I don't know. It's yeah, got a lot maybe of test anxiety. We should have had Brett on here to talk about test anxiety. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> so it's so difficult to it's so difficult to 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 know. I um, think the more interesting thing is uh, is Kenny McIntosh going to take away DJ Dallas's role this season? Yes, I do he, think that. I I think Kenny McIntosh is a really solid hand, the kind of guy you want to have on your team to play, you know, difficult third downs to make hard hard blocks and someone who you know is not going to embarrass you if you have to hand him the football a couple times. DJ DJ has been solid, but I think he's just never he's never progressed. He's the same player he was the first day we got him. DJ Dallas uh had 35 rushing attempts and 19 uh targets um last season. Yeah. Uh Travis Homer had 19 rushing attempts and 17 targets last season. So uh assuming that Basically, almost all of Penny's workload is going to go to Charbonnet, uh, which is, well, I think, it's be more than that. I was going to say, I really think that Charbonnet we're not going to run Ken Walker 288 times next year. Ken no. Walker, they're both going to get how like, many? How many? Total, 150 and 250. How many? And 225. How many carries did, did we have total between all running backs next year? Between all last running year, backs, we year. had 288. Plus fifty seven is two forty five or three forty five plus thirty five. Uh, that's three eighty three eighty three ninety nine. We had three hundred ninety nine okay. rushing you, attempts by if, running backs. If you made me guess, it's going to be like two hundred Charbonnet, one fifty Walker, fifty everyone else. That's that's my prediction for Seahawks rushes. I'm actually like way in on Zach Charbonnet is the is the bell cow man back but they're not it's a split it's a pretty even split between so the two here's guys. my thing i think if you say i think snaps and touches are going to be about the same walker's going to have less rushing attempts yeah i think but they'll have pretty it, equal snaps and touches because walker had 34 uh uh targets last season 
the Seahawks have wanted to have this for a while. You can tell just by like the way that they've drafted and mm-hmm. to the right that they've wanted to have Any a hammer. Person. They wanted to have a hammer like Chris Carson or now, now it's now the hammer is Zach Charbonnet. Zach Charbonnet is the hammer. And then they wanted Thomas to have Rawls like ball a hammer. Rock they wanted to have like a, I don't know, I don't know what you call the other guy, a rifle, like like a guy, just someone zoom, just a guy who can get all of it at once. The thing about Walker is, is that he had a lot of failed runs last year. He had one of the worst yep. success rates of any running back in the NFL, maybe the worst of anyone over a certain number of, of uh, like a minimum number of carries. And for me, like I want, I want them, they, and I think the Seahawks agree, like they want the consistency, but they also do want a guy who can hit a home run. And Walker is that guy. So for me, yeah, we got, I think we got stuffed. Uh, we were we were the uh, fourth most commonly stuffed team according to Football Outsiders, so we we were uh, ranked 29th in our ability to basically knock it our run shut down. And I mean, I know people people are gonna just want to blame the center and be like, oh, it's the center's fault, but it's not just the center. It's the problem was it. It's just the way Ken Walker runs, man. He's trying he's to hit home the run home hitter. run. Yeah, he's just trying to hit the home run on every play, and it's like Saquon Barkley, where yep. you know, yeah, he hit the home run. But you're gonna you have to deal with the the negative plays, and if you can mix in another running back who is more consistent, who can just grind out five yards on every play, no matter what, that's valuable. And it's I do expect to see Walker on most first downs, you know, first and ten, but on second and seven and third and four, you know, that's where I think we see a lot of you know Char- Charbonnet, where we just want to to clean up four or five yards, make sure we get the get what the defense gives us. Scheme wise, what I really like is. Um, I feel like any down, any distance, you can justify having uh, Walker, Charbonnet, or McIntosh in there. And it doesn't, like, McIntosh, I guess, tells you it's going to be a passing down. Um, But really, you can run him. So I feel like, and Dallas. So all four running backs could be in for a run or a pass. And it's not tipping your hand really hard. I like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a big benefit. Charbonnet didn't get a lot of pass blocking attempts in UCLA. That's not how their offense really runs. But he's shown that he's a capable pass blocker. It's always a little bit of growing pains his rookie year. But being able to put Charbonnet in there and go, okay, he could be running a route because he can run plenty of solid little routes. He's not going to be like deep downfield and you won't split him out in the slot or anything. But he can run a decent running back route. Um, yeah. So so a lot of people have said, too, Charbonnet is a good blocker. And he really showed out at the Senior Bowl as like, one of the best running back blockers. So that's kind of where I think that a lot of that hype comes mm-hmm. from. But the thing about running back blocking in general is that it's just a willingness thing. Like a lot of guys just, you got to show how willing you are. And he's very willing to just be a, when he's been asked to block, he's good at it and he does a fine job. Uh, and so, yeah, it's I'm excited. three things. It's, it's vision. Can you read where the person's going to be coming from? Mm-hmm. It's willingness. And it's, are you so small that you just get beat up? And he is not small and he is very willing. So all we have to figure out is whether or not he can read the uh, read the rush. If he can read the rush at all, then, yeah, he's going to be in the he's going to be an above average pass blocker. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, Ken Walker was second in the league in breakaway plays that were well that were considered well blocked by football outsiders. Like if we I think you got to put Walker out there on every first down because there's there's always a chance that he's going to hit. He's going to hit the uh, the home the home run. Yeah, he's going right. to be somewhere between losing three yards and getting all the yards left between here and the end zone. Every just hurts time because he, the he led the league in uh, and led led like the league in negative yards yep. before contact on poorly blocked plays. Like if the defense doesn't give him something, he's getting nothing because he'll just sit back there and wait for it. And if it doesn't show up, then he just loses three yards, four yards. Um, yeah. So I just I want to see. Uh, I mean, Walker could just even that out, just run into the line, but you lose some of that home run hitter ability if he's not going to be patient like that. So I think, yeah, you got to, you got to give, there's a give and take there. Kevin, what percentage of the time do you think we'll run out there with three wide receivers? So you, you said you wanted to talk scheme. So, um, for, for 2022, they don't, the formation rate, this is why I kind of wanted to wait on this because the formation rate article by football outsiders is not out yet for 2022. It's, I can only look at 2021. (laughs) So of like when, what personnel we ran, but I, I will say the Seahawks have gone more and more three wide receivers over time. And especially if you include like, when did we line up a tight end in the slot, which I was about to say, yeah. Using a tight end as a receiver functionally. Yeah. That's, it was, it was quite a bit. So do the, do the Seahawks, uh, are we just going to be in three wide receiver all the time? Is it Sean McVay city up here? 
or do you expect to see multiple tight ends on the field? I think I think we'll see multiple tight ends. Uh, Noah Fant's a very capable blocker. Um, Kobe Parkinson can play uh, tight or in the slot. I feel like our three tight ends we have are pretty versatile, uh, especially if Disley's healthy. For that reason, I don't think we'll go away from the two tight end sets too often. I also could see us using a two running back set more often just because like, tell me Ken Walker isn't like tailor made for uh, getting the ball in space. You know, like if, if, if ever we were able to run running back screens. No, we're not. We've it's too it's too long now. I'm I'm broken. Like just I'm done with I'm done with. You can be as mad as you want, but we're going to do it. So <laughs> we're gonna. Who do you want out there doing it? Because it's happening. I guess Geno Smith. Because I I the thing I think the reason we failed at running back screens is because Russ would always just throw the ball like five yards behind the running back because he was so afraid to throw a pick on those running back screens. After I he threw think, the tip pick six on, <laughs> just yeah, broke him forever. Just he's just completely broken. Uh, the one thing that's interesting is like we ran out of the shotgun 68% of the time last year, and I don't see that changing, which it's hard to run two running back formations out of the shotgun. So I don't think we'll see it too much. Uh, that's just a league wide trend. Just everyone runs almost everything out of the shotgun now. Like the least yeah. shotgun team last year was Detroit, and they ran out of the they ran out of the shotgun 52% of the time. Like there's just everyone's just in the shotgun all the time now. It's why it's why I think the Seahawks are smart for having a safe and uh, basically committing to playing an extra safety all the time. And uh, that's why I think they're pretty sharp for going and getting that third wide receiver to, to really round out their offense. They tried to get it already. D Eskridge. I do think one thing that's interesting is that these last couple drafts have been like fixing their mistakes. Yep. Like they had an idea of how they wanted to construct this roster and it's like, and then they just had to go back and, and double dip. So, you know, D Eskridge didn't work out. Okay. Well, we got to go get Jackson Smith and Jigba. Oh, well this pen, uh, Rashad Penny thing didn't work out. Oh, we got to get Ken Walker. Like they, they've been just fixing Chris Carson, his neck broke, you know, it's like, but that wasn't a mistake, but they had to go get someone to replace that. Right. They, they had yeah. a plan to, to go do that. And I, I guarantee even if Charbonnet wasn't there at their pick, if they would have gone a different direction with that pick, they would have picked another running back in the next round or two. There was a lot of value in in the running back position in this draft that just kind of uh, would have the Seahawks would have snapped some of it up at some point. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about next year. So, okay, where do you think this offense ranks in the uh, hierarchy of NFL offenses? Last year, the Seahawks were 14th in offensive DVOA, positive 4.8 percent, so above average offense. Okay, they uh, they landed in between Atlanta and Dallas. And when I saw that Atlanta thing, I was like, what? I definitely did a double take. Like Atlanta's offense was okay last year. But then I really thought about it. Like they have a lot of weapons and they just ran the ball really well. So Yeah, they just have yeah. a quarterback who can't hit the broad side of the barn half the time. Yeah. So their rushing DVOA last year was third. And then their passing DVOA was nineteenth, but they just had the, they had no explosive pass offense was the problem. So then they won't have it this year either because they're running it back with Desmond Ritter. I don't know what Atlanta is thinking. Maybe they just need one more year, but they have a lot of aging players in, in important positions. So I don't Grady Jarrett they got kind of stuck in a weird spot. A hundred percent. I think the Matt, uh, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan got worse a lot faster than they expected was the, part yeah. of the problem. And I All think right. they tried to bleed out a core for a little bit too long. So um, do you think, do you think that's the Seahawks? Like, can we fall right. in the top 10? I would say number one, I think it's a top 10 offense. If you look at our offensive line um, and adding that third wide receiver, I don't and like that extra efficiency, I think Charbonnet will bring to the run game. I think it's going to be very in line with last year's Giants. Um, I think which was 10th, by the way. Yep. And I think high end. I could see it being I could see the pass game being as good as like Miami's last year. Because I do feel like we have the right players to have a very explosive passing game. So our passing DVOA was eighth last year. And I, the biggest problem was our run game was very feast or famine last year. Yep, It was very like we're, we're getting everything or we're getting nothing. And the Seahawks really struggled in, in situationally as well last year. And so I really wanted to see us, you know, do it. So if you look at. Um, I think we'd be like Detroit was last year on offense. Fifth in pass, 14th in rush. I could see something like that pretty easy. Yeah, like on third and fourth downs, we were we were not going to put on second down rushes. Like second down rushes, we were twenty fifth. It's like I don't know what what was going on where where certain just certain situations the Seahawks just were so poor, 
And first down, first and second down rushes, negative 14.5% DVOA, negative 14.2% DVOA. Like we just had a lot of trouble running on first and second down. And that's maybe just our offensive line was young, couldn't impose their will, you know, because the rushing game really is about just kind of imposing your will on the defense. So maybe just that one more year of, of, of together and the tackles, you know, being in the NFL program, and then now they're now they're going to bigger, stronger. They'll be able to impose their will more. Lewis um, being healthy from the beginning of the year instead of that whole weird situation. A center who's not just going to get blown up at the start of the play like that. That could all help to because first and second down rushes. Um, that that was a, that was a problem last year, and that I would love to see. That's where you know Ken Walker was struggling. He was losing yards all over the place because the offensive line wasn't giving him anything, and he was just sitting back there. So I between Charbonnet. And the new and the new uh, the new interior offensive lineman, I do suspect that will be a lot better, and that will help quite a bit uh, to to kind of push us up into that top ten. Yeah, second uh, or third and manageable, giving us the flexibility to be able to like those overload plays that this McVay offense really specializes in. So you have that boot action, you have multiple receivers kind of crossing the formation. It really opens up a lot of those kind of intermediate to shallow catch and run situations. And that's where players like Smith and Jigba are really effective. That's where DK just like stiff arms a guy and can take off. Like it gives a lot more opportunities. I realize how much Tyler Tyler Lockett weighs down our catch and run because he just is like the the man's made a financial decision. Uh, He'll do the catch. The end run is where he's like, I'll just opt out of that. Like I'm contractually exempt from the end running. And it's like, I'm fine with that because he'll just move the sticks every time. But having two other capable receivers that will end run makes it so that uh, those types of plays, because that's what this offense wants to do. It wants to get the defense going one way and get a guy a little bit of space so he can take off and pick up like six to eight yards. Mm -hmm. And Jackson Smith and Jigba will open up stuff in the running game too you have to account for a threat like that in the middle of the field the linebackers aren't just gonna be able to pin down and and like fill the gaps right away they have or to he's going to eat at the beginning yeah. of the year if they don't if they don't it'll be a pro- contender <laughs> well if you ask if the teams don't take jackson smith and jigba seriously and we run a play action pass where you just you know throw the easy one right over the middle and the linebackers way too far down the field um coming down the field the that's he's going to bust people up under underneath. And so mm-hmm. you have to, they have to account for him. You have to, to do something different and that's going to help us a lot too. So I, I, yeah, I have high expectations for the offense, like extremely high expectations. It is the unit that will carry this team. Sometimes the defense is young and also, you know, has Jamal coming back from a major injury and Bobby coming back for the retirement tour. And it's like, I want to, I want to, I need to see the defense. The offense I know can be great, and we we need to I need we need to see it up there in the uh, you know Cincinnati, Miami, uh, Detroit, Philadelphia stratosphere. It needs to be that good, like one of the the best offenses. I don't think it can be Kansas City. <laughs> I don't think we can be Kansas City. We don't have Pat. Unfortunately, we do not have. Patrick we don't have Mahomes. a generational quarterback. We just have a good quarterback. Yeah, which it'd be cool to have Patrick Mahomes, but it's just not the uh, it's not not our lot in life. So yeah, but we got a good guy. I love I love our dude. Geno Smith is great. So yeah. All right. Uh let's go ahead and uh thanks to our patrons. Let's let's get into it. Let's just do this list. Hit the money zone. Okay. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest and for as little as $1.24 a month, join the Discord. Thank you to Emmanuel, Andy, Brett, Gr- Cooper, Do It All for the Tucci, Evan, Flocktimus, Gavin, James, Jose, Joshua, Lucas, Malcolm, Micah, Rad Dad, Nikki C, Ryan, Timothy, Tom, Astro, Blake, Bob, Casey, Daniel, David, Foles, Jay, Luke, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Werewolf, Brandon, and Nick. Everyone else who supports the show. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, big shouts to everyone just hanging out on the Discord, kind of joking around because is this is the this is the uh, slow part of this off season. There's just nothing going on rookie camp, but it's all just like you got to get your Pete Carroll decoder ring out and try to try, try to figure out read read between the lines because man, nothing he's saying is uh is really that it it's all there's just layers of of BS to everything. You know what saying. I love. So this is uh, uh, going off into a different Seattle sports realm. But have you uh, heard the thing about Ron Francis when you interview him on something? No. Uh, I... So 
Kraken general manager, Ron Francis, uh, what he's notorious for is you'll ask him a question, be like, so what's the team looking at for uh, improving uh, in this offseason? And he'll give like a really long soundbite. But when you go back and listen to the soundbite, you realize he's like, well, we're going to kind of pursue things through the draft is one avenue we could do it there. We could also, you know, we could we could also promote some guys from within. We're always taking a look at free agency. And you realize, like, at the end of his answer, he just listed all the ways teams make additions without actually saying anything. Pete doesn't exactly do that, but it's functionally the same thing where he'll say a lot of words that sound like an answer. And then you look back at the answer and you'll be like, good job, Pete. I'm actually impressed. You didn't say a word despite talking for three minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a. Uh... It's wild. It's wild how little he will, <laughs> a little, he, and also how how he'll just like say things that you know are completely untrue. Like, but he like does it by d- talking people up. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, you know he's always going to be nice about everything for sure. It's, it's just very, <laughs> it's whatever. All right, let's get to our movie club movie. Um, the great Tina Turner uh, passed this week, and so we had to go back into her film archive. Uh, and did we pick the last action hero? No, no, we did. no, we did not. Uh, <laughs> because she's not. Did, we, did we pick the rock opera Tommy? Did, did no, we? Did, no, we, did, we, did we? Did we pick the Tina Turner uh, biopic from last year? No, no, we did not. We did. We were the 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 iconic Tina Turner movie role, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And one thing about this this movie is it made me think: Why didn't Tina Turner act more? Like she's not she's pretty good in this movie like she looks cool she has her all her like acting is completely fine like i was did, did no one want to put her in the movies was it was she just difficult to work with i don't know it's very interesting to me that she didn't do a ton of other uh movie stuff other than this like does that su- does that surprise you too uh to an extent yeah i mean i don't know she had a lot going on in her personal life and uh like I feel like everything like everything that happened with uh, uh, with Ike Turner and everything. And they had a TV show in the early 70s, like when everyone had a variety show. OK, yeah. yeah. And so uh, there's some of that. Like, I don't know. I feel like I feel like she was just always busy with a lot of things. And so that didn't become a thing that she did a lot of, you oh, know, because okay. if you think about it, 85, she was born in. Uh, 1939. So she was in her 40s by the time like she was in a movie at all. It might have just been one of those like that wasn't where she was putting her career at all. But it's a legendary performance. Yeah, it's it's cool that she got this one like like really dope uh, performance into the into the like the pop media pop social pop popular media lexicon zeitgeist. The zeitgeist, exactly. That's I was like looking for that word. I feel like, and I just couldn't find it. Okay, Kevin, I got you. Bro. Um, I, one one thing I noted when I first just first thing, this because I rewatched this. I didn't just like try to live off the memories like I sometimes do. I rewatched it. It's so cool how these Mad Max movies just look like they're filmed on. I put I wrote down they look like they're filmed on Mars. Like yeah. it's like they they look like they're on another planet. It's so cool. Like what it did you did you like the like the landscape and the like just the the sets and stuff like it's so incredible when i so i hadn't watched this since like i don't know i was probably like 15 or 16 and watched it on a turner network of some sort uh because that's how you watch these movies when you were our age and i what i forgot because i had some basic impressions and this is one of those funny things where you and i had the exact opposite walkaways. And we'll talk about that down the road for a minute. But I felt like the visual, the cinema, the cinematography, the, uh, the makeup, the everything, this is a really cohesive movie. Like everything was really intentional. So there's like three kind of parts of this movie. So we got the opening, the opening third. Okay. The opening third, we got, it's just Mad Max. The Barter Town. Barter Town is just like extras, extras in apocalypse fetish gear. We got, uh, we got like, um, just like cool, really cool sets. And then we got just, uh, Tina Turner looking incredible, just such cool costumes and just like the way, and then Mel Gibson, dude, I don't know. Like 
he just looks cool in this movie. Like he just looks cool. Also, every iconic thing that you remember from this movie happened in the first 35 minutes. A hundred percent. So, so we kind of, we start <laughs> off with this. There's this like, you know, there's this tension in Barter town because auntie, uh, played by Tina Turner, auntie entity. She is, uh, she's having trouble because blaster master, the, uh, it's, it's a, it's a dwarf who's really smart, but talks, with weird sentences. I don't, I didn't, that thing bothered me a lot. And then, uh, did you notice that sometimes he didn't talk like that though, which made it bother me even more. Yeah. And then master who's like his, his heavy, but he rides on his back. Okay. So we got blaster. Wears a, uh, like 1930s scuba helmet. Uh, he, he is wearing he is wearing Shockmaster's helmet painted black. Then, <laughs> then no. So then not, then, not wrong. So then we we have this there's this tension and Blaster Master it all comes to a head when Blaster Master forces Auntie to say that, that he owns wait, Bar wait, wait. he runs Bartertown. Wait. Okay. So first of all, this starts with a direct nod to the second Mad Max movie, uh, Road Warrior, because the way, reason he ends up in Barter Town is because his llama train is hijacked. Camel, camel train. That's a camel train. His camel train is hijacked. His camels are up uh, because the pilot from the original so, movie, so you want to hear something? Kid who he leaves with uh, skyjacks his uh, camel train. So, so I Googled this after you told me this because I was like, man, it doesn't really seem like it's the same. So it's the same guy, but but the but is this supposed to be a different character. George Miller says it's a different character. That's not allowed. Just, but it's nope. being played by the same. Actor. He's wrong, and the same guy flies want, a helicopter. You, and every, no, this is no. He's wrong about to, his own movie. Do you want me to read a quote about it? Because it's really funny. Do you want, yes, me, do you want me to look it up? Okay. So so they, so they. I'm so mad about this. So they. They basically said, okay, so it says, um, <laughs> this is not okay. So he said, uh, let me see one second. It's, um, at the uh, end, does he say, can you call me landfill? Right. So Spence previously played the gyro captain in Mad Max two and said about his casting in the film. They were well into the shoot when they offered me a part described as it's not the gyro captain, but he's kind of like the gyro captain. <laughs> yeah. <you> they said, <laughs> They said there's kind of a reflection of him and they were having difficulty casting the role. So they thought, why not Bruce? <laughs> Do you love I, I, mean, I, knew, I knew you'd hate this so much. So like, it, cause it, it does, it does seem like so a pretty anyway, direct like callback. I said, it's the same character. <laughs> no, it's, it's the gyro captain, but well, it's because, not because he ends up with like the half feral little kid who like leaves on the, on the bus. Like, I love how that like, little kid, that little kid, uh, that little kid flies the plane back to Barter Town too. It's like that, that little kid couldn't land that plane. Come on now, okay. Anyway, <laughs> he was anyway. Born to fly, man. <laughs> so yeah, they end up in Barter Town though, and everything comes to a head when Blaster Masters he forces Auntie, uh, at kind of at a uh, at threat, okay. by threatening so to turn the off the town power. Is run on pig shit. Yeah, and, he's, uh, he threatens to turn off the methane, and she says she has to say in front of everyone, uh, Blaster Master runs Barter Town. Yep. She's not she's not too happy about that. So she kind of she hires the drifter, although there's kind of like a foreshadowing that she's going to do this anyway, that, that this that this only kind of accelerated things. It didn't really it wasn't it was going to happen no matter what. Max, she kind of makes a deal with Max. Uh, you can't tell anyone that we had a deal, but uh, I need you to kill Master or Blaster. Yes. Wait. Yes. Blaster. I need you to kill Blaster. Uh, so master will run the he'll continue to run my pig shit farm and then uh, and then we'll do it. So we so um, we end up with the scene because blaster master has Max's car and Max wants it back. So that they in in barter town, if you break the law or you have a like a challenge of the law, you can uh, do Thunderdome, which is like basically fight to the death. It's a duel to the death inside okay. the Thunderdome. Now, Kevin, can you tell me the Thunderdome's pretty weird? <laughs> I thought it was going to be so I I didn't you know I what it remember. didn't need it didn't need a bungee element yeah why what's up with these bungee cords they're fighting on it, it's so that they can bounce to the you know what it is uh chainsaw the chainsaw the, the chainsaw yeah I love when he's trying to start the chainsaw and he's being chased backwards and then he gets it going and starts chasing uh blaster, uh, blaster. around but then they runs out of gasoline after like three seconds and so now he has to run backwards again that was that was all real good his uh his whole whistle plan was great. Uh, also, I did want to point out there's a scene in here where he disarms himself that goes on gratuitously long, and it, I was dying laughing at the end of that scene. 
when uh, okay. the drifter has to disarm himself. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on here. But basically, before this, Max has scouted out Blaster and he's realized he can't handle sirens or whistles or whatever. So he brings a whistle with him into the Thunderdome, starts blowing it, is able to gain advantage over uh, over Blaster. Pretty cool. I, I thought the fight was as good as it could be, considering that it had some unnecessary bungee element yeah um and then and then uh he breaks blaster's helmet and sees him and he has a moment kind of like a quantum leap where he <laughs> where he sees him and he goes oh this guy is mentally disabled i cannot possibly kill him so so uh i mean the dude looks like chunk from uh from the goonies he looks like I the yard he looks like 100%. the yard he looks like the Yarp guy. <laughs> he does Hot look Fuzz. like the Yarp guy from, <laughs> from Hot Fuzz. Uh, so, and so I 100% understand him going, I, I cannot crush this guy's head with this giant mallet. It's It, it would functionally feel like murdering a puppy. I, then, uh, I understand that thought. And then so, so then anyway, they they call him out about, you know, having a deal or something. And then and then so everyone gets the mad deal. at him. And then. And then, and then, you know, Master's like, what deal? What deal? You know, and then everyone's kind of freaking out. And then Auntie changes the subject. <laughs> she says, oh, you break a deal. You spin the wheel. So she kind of diverts the attention away from the fact that she's made this deal, deal with rhymes. Max to, uh, to do it. Because, yeah, everything rhymes in this movie. So they spin the wheel. Kevin, my favorite part about the wheel is they have – so they have a wheel full of punishments or whatever. And they have all these spaces on the wheel. And they're all different sizes. <laughs> But for some reason, there's a space on the wheel that says spin again. And I just like, I couldn't handle it. I was like, why does this say spin again on this wheel? So my favorite thing was there was a piece that was like three times the size of all the other pieces that was Auntie Chooses. And I was so fixated on that. I was so fixated on that that I missed the spin again. And also, apparently, there is a blade that's like one eighth the size of any other blade that says like you get off free. Acquittal. Yeah. There's a, there's a, it's like the smallest one on the whole wheel. It says acquittal. Also, we I, I found just, out people in Australia don't know what a gulag is now. Yeah. So then anyway, That's he the- spins and he and he doesn't he doesn't get Auntie's choice. He doesn't get spin again, which what 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 a weird movie that would be if he spun and got spin again. I kind of wanted him to get spin again. That would be the worst. And then just then the, gets- mu- the music goes up another octave and it gets more tense. Yeah, and the and the announcer guy comes out and goes we yeah, spun some... the wheel, and now you can see that it is not your destiny. And then says something else in rhyme in like a weird way in sing song, and then it results in him spinning the wheel a second time and getting gulag. So they brought out the uh, uh, the mascot so, so yeah, helmet. Wh- what's gulag? What's gulag? Oh, it's where we put you backwards on a horse in a mascot helmet, and then uh, and with it with a, with a corso shaking his head. And then sadly. we and then we spank the horse, and however far it goes, you're in the gulag, like. I I googled I gulag I googled gulag because I was like, what is gulag? And I was like, yeah, it's a labor camp in Soviet Union. I, I yes. mean, this is so like, why why is this gulag? I don't understand. Uh, I mean, it should have said exile. Like, <laughs> I don't yes. I don't understand. <laughs> like, whatever, whatever. George okay, Miller, so, good good job by you. <laughs> so gulag theoretically, I understand because it's a reference to being sent to like a Siberian work camp. So you're being sent off to a wasteland, but like a gulag's a very specific thing. So that is a really weird use of it. I think that was just some uh, uh, some eighty Soviet hype, kind of kind of leaking out. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So then so we got that that out of the way though. He's he's now so uh, there's a guy. His name is uh, Pig Killer because it says Pig Killer on his chest. Well, because he <laughs> killed a pig. Pig <laughs> just to feed his family. To they feed were his hungry. Family. They were. Uh, pig, so pig, pig and his killer, family was the monkey. <laughs> pig killer sends sends Mad Max's monkey, which we haven't mentioned yet. The monkey like kicked a bunch of his gear off of the off of the, the off of the camel train too to to kind of save Max on his way to Barter Town. But uh, the monkey somehow finds Max <laughs> with a water skin. Should be of <laughs> note. This is a very well trained monkey. How did it find? I don't understand this. Uh, this is like. It's this one. Uh, this it's one. A, it's the it's the grand descendant of of uh, uh, of from uh, it, from Aladdin. Okay, Kevin. And then so at this point, I think we'd hit basically everything I remembered from the movie from before when I'd seen it. Like I was like, this is all the parts of the movie. Like this is okay. the movie. So, so then I have we get a to this ne- difference. <laughs> okay, and that is, um, I remembered the whole next part, but I remembered it being 
more of the movie and the Thunderdome thing happening after it. Oh, weird. Okay. So yeah, this next part then. So yeah, Max, you know, he's about to die or whatever. Someone finds him and he ends up in this oasis with all these little kids. Who with all these sur- lost children. They're, yeah, they're, they're, it's Peter Pan. He, he's, he's Peter, he's cat. He's Peter Pan. And they, they, they think he, so that, okay. These are the survivors of a plane crash and they all well, no, a plane landing. Like apparently they were in the plane when the atomic bomb hit yeah, yeah. and they and then, ended up having like emergency land in the desert. And then they think that Max is the pilot come back to fly them out. It's like a weird cult too. They're like <laughs> fallout definitely pulled from this for the cult of the bomb. Like yeah. uh, and the kids and the kids like creepily like there's, there's, there's some serious children of the corn vibes for these kids. Yes. They're you want to hear a weird thing? Uh, one of the, one of the kids, uh, Anna Goanna, uh, is played by Justine Clark, who writes a bunch of like children's music that my kids like. Like that's her job now. She's like, she's like fifty, and she writes like kids' music that my my so kids what I'm actually listen. Is she's to. a kid forever. Mm, yeah, I guess so. I guess Peter Pan. Peter Pan. She, she, she continues. This is the only movie she's ever been in. I looked it up. That's because uh, she can't be on the camera anymore. You can't see that she's still six. Mm, I see. Against her. The rules. She's not. She's not six years old. But that. A, but she's standing. She's paying. She has a. She has a watermelon song. It's pretty pretty good. You should check it out if you have <laughs> five-year-olds. Watermelon song. It's pretty good. Got it. Yeah, it, it is good. It's a, I, it's I believe a, you. Maybe a, you can play that for the outro music. Gotta get that. But if you if you just ask Google it. if you just ask Google to play the watermelon song though, they're gonna play Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles, and you're gonna be disappointed because it's not <laughs> it's not the it's not the song I'm talking about. It's not the five-year-old um I like watermelon song that this lady made up. Okay, okay. So, so, uh, so what do you Max think about the like, lo- Kevin? What do you think about the Lost Boys, Kevin? Uh, I think that their version of Rufio is nowhere near as charismatic. Okay. Um, I also think that the way that they have the same weird stilted speech is slightly problematic. Um, yeah, it kind of felt like weird. the Ewok scene from Endor, except they could speak some English. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so these little, ki- these little kids all decide they're, they're like, want to leave uh, some of them. Some of them want to leave. Well, because now, like, since he wasn't actually the pilot, they are now shattered from their religion and want to leave. And Max is like, you will don't. be gutted if you go to Barter Town. They will eat you. Like he's like, alive. and he's like, he's like, don't leave. This is pretty cool right here. What you've got going on right here yeah, is this good. Oasis, it's it's just, solid. Just stay here. Don't go. But some of them decide to leave anyway. And then um, Max, and they get sucked into quicksand because it's yeah. the '80s, and you have to be worried about quicksand in the '80s. That's a rule. And there's this is '80s camp. The movie like there's so many like '80s camp tropes in this movie. And then. uh so this whole middle part is really like cheesy like the beginning part is super gritty like the other mad max movies it's heavy metal like just like the max movies it's 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 campy but it's metal the the middle third though is not it's no it's it's not oddly it's oddly saturday morning cartoons it's a pg it's a pg home alone movie sandwiched into a mad max movie (laughs) like like because because here's the thing we're gonna go back to mad max eventually but it's gonna take a while. First, we gotta hit hit a guy with a frying pan and make a guy fall down the stairs with matchbox cars. That didn't actually happen, but but but, but uh, a guy did get hit by a frying pan. That did happen. That did happen. That part was true. <laughs> but yeah, so there's also a part where somebody accidentally steals a doll instead of an actual person because yep. they don't mm-hmm. know the difference between a doll and a human. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. That that part is true. That happened. So uh, anyway. also, someone gets kicked into poop. So anyway, we end up with Max reuniting with uh, the pilot from Mad Max 2. That's not the pilot from That's Mad Max 2. That's not the pilot from Mad Max 2. <laughs> and, yes, uh, he is. <laughs> and, uh, he, went, he, had to go into the, he had to go into the post-apocalyptic witness protection program, and they changed his identity. <laughs> so and he, he's going to change. Anyway, he's going to change. Uh, he's going to. He help, decides he's going to help the kids fly out or whatever. They're all going to fly out together. Uh, there's like car, cool car chases and stuff. It's Mad Max stuff. Mad Max stuff starts happening. Again. Very Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, uh, you just watch it. It's action. It's cool. I don't want to explain it. And then, uh, it's well done. Somebody gets shot. Somebody else. Like there's, oh, there's some good car. Wrecks. Someone, someone gets blown up and then is giving the finger when they get blown up. Yeah. Yep. That happened. That guy's cool, by the way, in the whole movie, that little short guy with the, yeah. he's got the mask above his head. Yeah. I like that yep. dude. And he, then, he uh, did his thing. Yeah, and then was, his, that guy's like a famous Australian self. He's Australian. He's an Australian punk rock singer or something. I looked it up. Dude, the way to live, way, way to live your best life. You're he's, an Australian his, punk rock person who got to be in a post-apocalyptic movie. Like A plus. Good job by you. You know what his name is? No. Angry Angry Anderson. 
A plus plus. Good job, I man. I don't know if his name is. I don't know if that's his real name. Like I, okay, I says, don't think. I doubt it's a family real, name. Yeah, angry. I don't think his name is real angry. It's but angry anyway, the fourth. He was sweet, and the, the way that guy started out like suspicious of Max, and then kept hating him more and more in the movie was I felt like a nice through line to like because Auntie's not super villainous. Um, so you like, know, that's that, at the end. That kind of that kind of filled in the like the villainous gap was like that guy. You know, there's like the henchman is the really like the guy you really hate and Auntie you're conflicted about. So anyway, Auntie decides at the end of the movie, like she respects Max and she's just like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and rebuild Barter Town. Do your thing, dog. That's because the plane <laughs> took off. And so she was like, oh, I lost. Yep. I took the L. I, she didn't kill him because she's like, you know, I respect it. You, you, you outgamed me. And then uh, there's game respects the game. And then, yeah, then the kids are the kids are in Sydney and they're they light up the they light up the sky so that Max and other survivors could potentially find them. That's like kind of the ending of the movie. All right. I'll say this. I like the movie. I just wish that the I wish that they played the kid part a little differently. I don't know how they do that, like because you don't want it to be too gritty with kids. You don't want like kids just getting although I mean, one of these kids does die. It was just in a deleted scene like they Uh, know one of them gets sucked into the uh, quicksand. Oh, yeah. okay, But like one kid like died in a deleted scene, like got murdered. And so I think that they they knew like they had a fine line to walk here. And that's why they should have just figured out something different. I don't know. Made them make them teens or something or make them adults, make them adults who 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 never. uh... They kind of did that in the Road Warrior. Where it was like a group of people that were a lot more like normal um, and trying to have like a functioning society. And they got like hit by the more oppressive group. So I feel like they were trying to just do something else. And so I know why they did it. So I remembered the Saturday morning cartoon stuff being more prominent than it was. So this movie actually went up a half point for me. Whereas I think you had the opposite thing happen. Yeah. I think it was like a three and a half in my brain, but I just dumped it down to three. Cause I was just like, this homo and garbage is not, but the, I will say this, the opening like barter town, from Barter Town up until like the start of the Thunderdome fight is like some of the best Mad Max stuff. It's like yeah, exactly it what hangs. Matt it it's like as good as any Mad Max even in the new one that everyone loves Fury Road. It's like as good as as any of the Mad Max has ever been. It's awesome. Yep. Like and it's like Miller at his absolute peak. Great cinematography, excellent use of sound, set dressing, costumes, like it all just rules. And and then the the Thunderdome fight starts and it's a little clunky. And it just kind of starts like this downward uh, it gets trend. More cartoony. And then, and then it gets good at the end again. Like at yeah. the end, they like they like ramp it back up. They're like, oh, here, Mad Max is back. Let's do this. And it's like sweet. But uh, I, I don't know. It, overall, it's just kind of a mixed bag. It's a it's definitely worth watching. If you've never seen it and you like Mad Max, like this is it is a good it is a worthy entry in the franchise. It's not if anybody says this is a straight up bad movie, I would just. I would disagree. Don't listen to them. It's not straight up a bad movie. What I think is fun is, uh, you know, it's like I love when I go back and watch these 80s movies and I'm like, man, Mel Gibson, great at playing like slightly unhinged people. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I guess he's not. Yeah, it's like he's not. He's method acting, Kevin. Yeah, he's he's just method acting his life. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, oh, oh, like I remember, you know, before everything happened, that was always the thought. Like, oh man, he plays like kind of like a slightly off guy with rigs and everything, and he, you know, and like all the other roles that you really like him in. You're like, there's kind of something dark with this guy, and then like the internet happened, and you're like, oh, there just is something really dark with this guy. Are you excited about the Furiosa origin story? Yes, I'm excited about anything that he wants to do with Mad Max because he just waits until he has a really good idea and then I'm, sees the idea all the way through. That's I, inter- I have a great appreciation for that. I'm interested to see how Anya Taylor Joy plays like a like strict action, strict action figure like this. You know what I mean? Like this is yeah. Like Charlize Theron was believable in the role because like she got she got pretty ripped for the movie. You know what I mean? Like is is Anya Taylor Joy going to like cycle steroids and get swole for this movie? I don't know. Like if she looks, she wasn't like swole. She was just, uh, like she was very athletic though. Yeah. If Anya Taylor Joy looks like she weighs 88 pounds, like, I don't know if I'm going to, it's going to be, I'm interested to see how the, how they, how they sell it. You know, it's, I'm excited about the movie. It's obviously going to be, it's going to look great. No, Taylor Joy. Did you see last night in Soho? Mm -mm. Uh, in Last Night in Soho, she plays someone she really, who's... She really let me down as Princess Peach, by the way, which is maybe, maybe why I'm sad. I will say she might not be a voice actress. Yes. Uh, 
like some people just don't do that as well. But she, I feel like she menu. held her own in the really tense scenes in that in the menu. I feel like she held the tension in the thriller elements of the menu as well. Um, mm-hmm. I still need to see uh, the Northman um, because that's also going to be a little bit closer yeah, that, to an action role. Yeah, that'd be good. And so I feel like right. if I watch the Northman, I think I'm going to have a pretty good idea of how she'll approach it. But I like her as an actress. I'm I'm hopeful for it. Yeah, like, I, I would like to see her do well in that role. I think she can. Good actress for sure. I just am, I want to see what she's like as an action star, and I haven't seen it yet. Maybe in the Discord, you guys can tell me what I, what I'm missing with a uh, in because I've not seen the Northman either. All right, anything else, Kevin? Before we uh, head home? Uh, nope, I'm good. All right, all right, for Kevin, for Eric, we will uh, see you all next week, and we where we watch George Miller's best movie, Happy Feet. Go Hawks. <laughs>